Howdy doody, ladies and gents. This is Demonosophy and Beyond, the podcast that will enlighten you to the point of insanity. I'm your host, Greg Bryant, manipulator of magic, friend of things feared, and tonight we will be discussing demonosophy, what it is, what it requires, and how it differs from demonology and demonolatry. So, if you're tired of the mundane and you're down to get weird, let's proceed. Last episode, I said I didn't know any other demonosophers, and I think it's because the term isn't really used in magical mainstream. Personally, I've only seen it used in two places. The first was in a book called Glimpses of the Left Hand Path, a book of essays published in 2004 by Lodge Megan Dragon Rogue Poland. An explanation of Rudolf Steiner's demonosophy begins on page 133. While this is not my personal definition of demonosophy, there were parts of Steiner's philosophy that I did agree with. One of these things is that each spiritual being has its own system of values. Many people tend to compare things they don't understand according to human standards, which leads to demons often being portrayed as evil. But these beings have their own hierarchies, societies, and laws that we have yet to fully comprehend. The essay goes on to break down the demonic into three groups, Asuric, Aramanic, and Luciferic. I'm going to read the definition of these three groups directly from the book, starting on page 135. There it says, the Assyric attempt to suck the ego, to turn man into an anthropomorphic machine that possesses some remains of intelligence, will, and feelings, but lacks what is important and valuable according to all systems of values apart from a sort. Personality. Let's see. Let us find the definition of Araman. Araman personifies Mertil... Sorry, <laughs> materialism, power, and cold intellect. The material world and the ability to achieve supremacy over it are pivotal fields of Araman's interests. Aramanic values include power, strength, might, understood as ability to impose one's will on those who are weaker. These first two descriptions seem more like commentaries on contemporary society and government. This point of view may very well have been influenced by Christianity. In 1 John 5.19 of many translations of the Bible, it says the world is under the power of the evil one, which many assume to be Satan. The third group of demonic beings, the Luciferic, is what resonated with me the most. On page 137, Luciferic spirits are described as being the opposite of Araman. It is the rebel and the dreamer. It rejects apotheosis of violence, hedonism, Machiavellianism, as well as Christian values which include humility, altruism, and loving everyone. It encourages individual spiritual development 
aiming for perfection and rebellion against the world. It is about liberation of consciousness from dogma and cliches. Quoting from the book, he calls for change in this world, elimination of evil and suffering. Lucifer inspires revolutionaries, dreamers, creators of utopias. There's also a part in this book that I highlighted on page 138. It says, the Luciferic outlook is based on idealism. Spirituality is uncomparably more important than the existence in the material world. Material goods, sensual pleasures, and fulfillment of lust become less important. If all three groups do exist, the latter is what I personally seek as a demonosopher. The second place I came upon the term demonosophy was at the Satan and Sons website. This coven defines demonosophy almost the same way I do. This is from the About Us page. It says, Demonosophy, meaning to work and walk with, learning knowledge and wisdom from demons and dark lords. Dot dot dot. To lead an inspired and empowered life. You can go there and read it for yourself. So what's my definition of demonosophy? Basically, to coexist with and have mutually beneficial working relationships with the spirits. Demonosophy is a way of thinking and living that can be integrated into any system of magic and many belief systems. You don't have to sell your soul, nor do you have to be a Satanist or Luciferian, although it may help to be. You don't have to be goth or listen to heavy metal either, but if it makes you feel like a badass, go for it. So how is this different from demonology or demonology? Demonology is the study of demons, usually in order to defy them. While one must be ready to def defend themselves, this is not the goal of the demonosopher. Demonology is the worship of demons. While I respect their power, I personally have no gods or masters, and while the spirits do demand respect, they have never asked for my worship. So Greg, I want to become a demonosopher. What do I have to do? Well, I'm glad you asked because the truth is there's a lot of preparation most people need to do before consider considering dealing with any spirit. And I should know, I got my ass whooped by a few of them because I was not ready. I may laugh about it now, but the truth is that there were some occasions when I could have died. So if you truly want to be a demonosopher, Know that it's going to take hard work and dedication. This isn't something you pick up to be cool or to piss off your parents. This is like life-changing stuff. <laughs> it's like training for a dangerous profession like boxing or police work. If you take your training seriously, when you have to put your skills into practice, the likelihood of you coming out okay is higher than if you dive into some situations with no knowledge of how to approach them. The first step is understanding the reality of what you're getting into. Last episode, I spoke about the benefits of working with demons. Know that there's a trade-off. The deeper you get into the spirit realm, 
the less attached you become to this plane of reality. When the uninitiated sense it in you, it can cause some friction. If you live in a predominantly Christian society, such as myself, you may face persecution. Even non-religious individuals will try to discourage you on your path. They'll tell you that you sound crazy, you're being superstitious, or none of what you do is scientifically sound. Practitioners of other branches of magic may try to dissuade you. They may give you the same warnings as Christians do. 99% of all this will be due to ignorance and brainwashing, and the 1% that may have dealt with demons probably had no clue what they were dealing with. Then there will be people who are so caught up in the mundane that you simply won't be able to relate to them anymore. I think this is why a lot of serious practitioners of any magic eventually start to seclude themselves in some form or fashion. They begin to limit interaction with other people because they exist on another level and it gets harder to keep in touch with a world you're no longer fully aligned with. Another reality you will have to face is that hard lessons are a regular part of the practice. If you have a hard time with criticism, this path is not for you. Demons will not pull punches when telling you about yourself. They're brutally honest, but keep in mind that if they are giving you counsel, it's because they care about your growth. Before getting to that point, uh, one must analyze themselves and be completely truthful. Are you sound of mind? I'm not saying that people with mental disorders can't walk this path. But for your own safety, you want to consider whether you're stable. Working magic can be mentally and emotionally stressful. Furthermore, if you are prone to hallucinations, it would be difficult to determine what visions are inspired and what is imagined. Plato is quoted as saying, know thyself. And there couldn't be any better advice when it comes to preparing to be a demonosopher. Who are you without the influence of media, religion, or your peers? To find this out, I had to go into isolation for long periods of time and meditate. I didn't have the money for a spiritual retreat in another country, so I had to make do by contemplating on my life in a dark closet. But guess what? Answers started coming to me. I began seeing things from a more logical perspective. My emotions stop being so out of control. Meditation is a powerful thing. I was able to analyze the beliefs I had at the time and choose what I wanted to keep and what I wanted to get rid of. That was how I started becoming a less adulterated version of myself. The reason why knowing yourself is so crucial lies in the way demons can and will communicate with you. I rarely have spoken conversations with them in English. Most of the time they will use visions, dreams, or change your emotions to portray what they want and it is up to you to discern your thoughts and feelings from what is being imprinted upon you by a spirit. Meditation is also a good way to develop patience and learn to focus. Anyone who practices any magic should understand why these qualities are key. 
Some spells take time to cast or come to fruition. Other spells have devastating effects on casters and all involved if they allow themselves to be distracted. And no spell will work if you can't focus your intent. Be observant. Demons rarely drop what you want right into your lap. They will most likely open up opportunities that will lead you to your spell being fulfilled. If you fail to be vigilant and don't take said opportunities, your failure becomes solely your fault. Get an imagination. If you don't already start reading fantasy, science fiction, and or horror, don't watch movies, actually read. World building in your head from written or verbal descriptions helps you develop your ability to visualize, a skill that goes hand in hand with directing your intent. Hold on a sec. Yeah, no, don't worry about me. Anyway, <laughs> before seeking out new spirits, I practice seeing myself having peaceful communications with the spirit in my mind's eye. I forget where I read it, but uh, a book said, what you put into the universe, you get back. So if you go into a ritual expecting positivity, a demon will pick up on that and mirror your attitude, most likely. I have personally seen this work with spirits that even demonologers consider evil. There was an Egyptian demon that out that was described um, in the grimoire as evil and malevolent that I contacted because of its ability to manipulate time. And before doing so, I did this visualization exercise I described. And when I actually met the demon, it was very cordial. It's like, hey, how's, how's it going? And we had a very formal, uh, peaceful first meeting. Another reason I believe it's essential, essential to build visualization skills is that I feel it makes communication easier. I believe that many demons tap into your experiences and abilities to get certain messages across or give you an idea of what they look like. Even though the message or the image may seem or look strange, um, it's still something your brain can process. Uh, to give you an example, I had a demon come to me and she kind of looked similar to a humanoid that I, I saw on a music video. And uh, that's how they might take something from your brain that you are somewhat familiar with and then apply it to themselves so that you have a type of understanding uh, of them. If you want to become a demonosopher, there will be a few hats you'll have to wear. That's of a researcher, a diplomat, and a teacher. It's always good to be as prepared as possible before diving into something new, and meeting a spirit is no exception. Do your homework and find out as much as you can before an evocation. What does the spirit specialize in? Uh, what kind of temperament does the spirit have? What kinds of things does it like? 
you can find this information in grimoires, blogs, magical chat rooms, uh, possibly history books. And if you speak face to face with other practitioners who are, I guess, of the left handed path and okay with what you do. To be safe, only use consistent information. Uh, you may come upon information uh, later on that validates your experiences, though, uh, that may be hard to find, that isn't common on other people's blogs or whatever source of information that you get. But it is my um, it's my suggestion if you're a beginner. To just go with uh, whatever is consistent because it has the most likeliness to be true. Uh, this information will help your evocations go smoother or may even help you avoid dealing with a troublesome spirit, which is something that nobody wants to deal with. Whether you are ready for it or not, you will have to teach, and it won't be humans that you'll have as students. Many spirits are curious about how humans operate and why they do what they do. If you cultivate an ongoing relationship with these beings, they will eventually start using you as a resource for information. Uh, many times I have uh, spirits come to me. And it's it's kind of annoying because it's usually at night when I'm trying to sleep and uh, they'll talk to me and sometimes uh, they'll ask me questions about uh, I guess what life feels like as a human being and it's kind of like um, trying to explain things to a very smart child they listen to what you have to say and they repeat it back according to their own understanding and usually it's super simplified and sometimes um, it makes explaining it sound silly well I mean like a lot of what humans do uh, is nonsensical so yeah, they 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 break it down for you so that you have a better understanding. Ah, uh, anyway, so um, that is one of the ways that you become a teacher. So then there is uh, the part of playing the diplomat, and should you be inspired to share your success with other people you will have to find some way to help them understand your experiences uh, very many occasions I, I really understand what I've gone through and it takes some time to process these experiences um, in order to form words to communicate with another human being what you went through it's very interesting it's a uh, I need to get a, a dictionary at the source and improve my vocabulary because of it. 
So for those of you who are more business minded and and um, you may end up petitioning demons on behalf of customers and that's another way that you may have to play as a diplomat. So now we come to the part you've all been waiting for or at least you know the part that a lot of people ask me. How do you conjure up a demon? Well, uh, the best way I can describe it is it's kind of like having a dinner guest over. You tidy up, you prepare the things your guests like, you call them over, and you have a conversation. Um, for people who sense no presence, uh, finish your ritual no matter what happens um, or if you feel like nothing is happening I'm not saying no matter what happens um, if whatever you ask for comes true then you'll know that someone accepted your invitation and was actually there for those of you who are a little bit more sensitive an indication of demonic presence energy wise may come in the form of an electric sensation traveling throughout your body or perhaps a heat it's going to be of course like some kind of energy uh, this is what I call a scan and my theory is that they do this in order to determine whether you are worth working with or not uh, if the spirit deems you worthy deems you unworthy I'm sorry <laughs> and leaves uh, it's good practice to wish it peace uh, you may not be ready for that demon at the time but it can come back so don't be upset if it uh, it leaves if the demon approves of you the energy may linger or you'll have the feeling of being watched I know initially it may feel creepy but you shouldn't show any fear. Um, they don't really like shows of weakness, you know, signs of weakness. And uh, they also take it as an insult if you kind of invite them over and you ask them for help, but you're afraid of them. So that's another reason not to show any fear. Um... If you're initially dealing with a demon, it's good to get straight to the point and just be business-like uh, when asking for something. Uh, but if you have an ongoing relationship with the same spirit, it may be okay to shoot the breeze, so to speak, uh, depending upon the temperament of that spirit and how comfortable you two are with each other. Uh, you also have to be sure to show your appreciation by telling others about your positive experience should the spirit help you. Um, in my experience, when you ask a demon for help, uh, they, they rarely have asked anything of me back. 
So I usually make it a practice to say, hey, you know, I'm just going to tell people what you've done for me and how much I appreciate it. And it seems to work very well. And so I recommend that, you know, if you ask a spirit for help, then you also show your appreciation by letting others know that it did a good thing for you. And this can come in the form of a blog, post on social media, talking to someone in person, writing a book, making a podcast. Uh, You may conclude your ritual by telling the spirit that the ritual is done and wishing it peace as it goes on its way. And that's the evocation for you, ladies and gentlemen. Rarely do... uh, physical manifestations happen during an evocation but it's not impossible just don't expect it to be like in the movies and be crazy and have things floating in the air um that that uh i have yet to see that so what about invocation you know we kind of hear these terms evocation invocation uh, when we read about magic and some people tend to get the two mixed up or think they're synonymous well the difference uh, is that an an invocation I'm sorry is calling something into you And you may say, hey, that's crazy, right? Why would somebody do that? Well, practitioners may do an invocation so that they can communicate more efficiently with the spirit. uh, So that they can form an intimate bond. Or they can borrow a few personality traits to improve upon themselves. Um, For me... When I started on my path, uh, Thoth was the initial entity that helped me long term. And uh, he mostly did it through invocation. Well, the way Thoth is, he is very patient. And he is uh, very affectionate towards humans. And at the time, I had anger problems, and I really didn't like people at all. Um, in fact, I had like this this rage towards humanity, this hate. And by dealing with him for so long especially through invocations, I began to, I wouldn't say like humanity, but that white hot rage that I felt for it disappeared. And I became more uh, tolerant of people. Um, And I contribute that to dealing so much with those. Um, so, 
as far as I can um, think, those are the basics of my version of demonosophy. Um, if you apply what I've said here to your practice, just know that each person's experience will differ, but there will also be many similarities. And remember, you'll only get what you put into it. So if you're not getting any results, it's probably because you're being lazy. <laughs> anyway, if you enjoy this podcast, be sure to hit the support button at the bottom. It helps me to further my research and make mistakes so you don't have to. See you next episode, guys. <laughs>